Welcome to the Trinity Grace Church Tribeca podcast. At Trinity Grace Church, our mission is to help New Yorkers grow in love by practicing the way of Jesus for the good of our city. If you're interested in Trinity Grace Church Tribeca, check out our website at tgctribeca.com where you can learn more about us and learn about ways that you can help support our church and this podcast. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook to see and hear what's going on in our community. Thank you for joining us today and welcome grace and peace to you. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals. Do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If someone is, if not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Before I offer my reflection this morning, I'd like to create some space for uh, openness to God and openness to each other. And we invite you in this practice just to bring your your full self. Um, Let this be an authentic moment of openness. And it's whatever you bring into the room. It could be lots of faith or lots of doubt. It could be um, a heart singing with joy. It could be a heart very heavy with grief. Um, But whatever you bring, bring your full self to this moment. And let's open our hearts before God and one another as best as you know how. God, we open our hearts to you. And in a world where uh, the pace of our life pulls us forward so quickly and our minds are constantly occupied with the next thing, the next deadline, the next project, the next meeting, uh, we 
pause right now, seeking sacred space. Give us a sense and an awareness of your presence. Give us the sweetness of your love and your joy. And open us up to the possibility of change and challenge and transformation. Amen. So, I'd like to begin this morning by asking a question, which is, how does the dream of God for the world come to be? Or I could put it a different way, which is, what, whatever your sense of the dream of God for the world is, how were you introduced to it? How were you drawn to it? How did it enter into your story or into your life? This story is a story about not only the entrance of the dream of God into the world and how that happens, but it's also um, a mission text. It's an invitation to participate in that dream and the, the, the expansion of that dream. And yet, we have a lot of pause, I think, when we come to missionary texts for good reasons. Um, I myself was raised in, a, in a, a tradition, actually two different Christian traditions, that had different uh, approaches to Christian mission. And each of them um, were, had some moments and aspects of beauty and transcendence and wonder, but there were other parts of it that uh, were, were kind of dubious um, or had a dark side. And I couldn't quite put my finger on it at the time. I just felt like something was off. And only on later reflection was I able to look at those experiences and see, oh, oh, I think I see what's happening here, what was going on that felt off, or it felt like this doesn't feel like good news, this feels bad, why that was the case. And so when we come to a, a missionary text or a sending text or a purpose text like that, um, I think in a city like New York, we, we have a relative caution, and rightly so. There's a, a religious historian named uh, Mircea Eliad. And uh, Mircea Eliad was uh, someone who identified uh, sort of a genius of pre-modern thought and identified patterns in the pre-modern brain. Uh, and so looking at all the, the religions before the modern era, uh, they noticed a pattern. And the pattern was that uh, there's th almost these two senses of time and space in the average person's mind and imagination. On the one hand, you have the profane or the ordinary. And this is like the day-to-day the -day activity. When you wake up in the morning, you enter and wake up into the world of the profane. Um, you step onto the floor, you start the coffee, you, uh, you know, look at the to-do list, uh, you get dressed, you get clean. These are the, the ordinary sort of profane rhythms of life. They're not bad, they're just normal. But there's also this other world, this other space, and that is what they would have called the sacred. And it was within the sacred uh, that renewal could happen or transformation could happen. And the Greeks had words for this. Uh, chronos is like normal time, average time, ordinary time, and kairos, which is special time, time that's sort of supercharged with possibility or significance or beauty. These two worlds, these two times, these two spaces. And what they observed is that moderns like us, we often uh, are sort of imprisoned in, in ordinary profane time. 
Like that's where we do most of our thinking, living, acting, imagining. We, we actually have very few pockets of time and space that are truly sacred. And so there's this great lack. And what he observed is that the, the ancients sort of had this sense that the ordinary life, right, your day-to-day rhythms, had a sort of deteriorating effect. There's kind of a lethargy. Things get dull. Things get boring. Things get uh, sort of uh, off. And there's a need for renewal. And so there were these rhythms and rituals in almost all the, the religions around the world that had these, uh, this sense of a journey back to the center, is what he called it. This journey to the center. And this journey to the center is uh, what he described, uh, getting in touch with what's going on at the heart of the universe. Like, what is the world about? What, in their case, what are the gods about? And it was this journey to the center, what he called the axis mundi, the sacred navel of the universe, that gave people meaning, that gave them significance, that gave them a sense of an opportunity to renew uh, their whole world. And when contact occurred with the center through sacred rituals or spaces, um, the whole world was revitalized for them. It was kind of like they were walking on a cloud. Life was enhanced. New creativity was present. It was regenerative space and time. Now, I share that with you because uh, so much of what we see Jesus doing with the disciples is plucking them out of sort of ordinary rhythms and routines and ways of seeing and being and immersing them in sacred space, immersing them in sacred encounters with specific sacred instructions so that something could come awake in them Something could come alive. A new way of seeing and being could emerge in them. And this journey, this specific uh, sending, is one of those journeys to the center. One of the things that Jesus does here is, is contrasted with the way of the world or the way of the empire. And so I want you, as we think about this story, to have, uh, have that contrast in mind. Uh, at the very end of the text, what, is, what does Jesus say when the disciples come back from their journey and they're reporting all the things that happened? He, he uses this phrase, I saw Satan fall like lightning. And it's kind of wild because he, as he's hearing them tell their stories, he sort of interprets it through this apocalyptic language. I saw Satan fall like lightning because what Jesus sees happening through their activity is the dream of God entering the world and the way of the world crumbling before them. Now, you and I, we live in the 21st century. We live here in New York, and it might be a hop, skip, and a jump to figure out like how your life and your story and your week-to-week connects with this disciple's journey, but that's what this sermon is all about. What invitation exists for you? What possibilities exist for you to participate in the dream of God and to see Satan fall like lightning? One of the things that I'd point out to you right from the start is that for the dream of God to come true, there have to be ambassadors. There's no such thing as uh, like a zapping from heaven that comes uh, directly unchanneled or unmediated. Jesus is always uh, mediating the presence of God to others and sending others on his behalf to mediate the love and the presence and the mercy of God to others. Um, these ambassadors in this story are unnamed, so we're meant to identify with them. I mean, the story of the 12, that's one thing, right? 
There's 12 disciples, their name, they have their own stories, and we can have a sense of distance from that. But these disciples are more and they're unnamed. And in fact, they're not just more, there are 72 of them, which is very significant. Um, in, in the Hebrew Bible and in the Hebrew imagination, 72 represented uh, the nations of the world. It, it represented a global perspective. Um, so what the narrator's doing is showing us that the 12 disciples had their mission and their sense of purpose to the people of Israel, right? A very focused, focused mission. But now this mission is expanding. It's expanding to the rest of the world. It, there's a universality to what Jesus was up to and what he was sending people out to participate in. And this is where we connect. Because not only do we identify with perhaps these unnamed disciples, it could be any of us, but also here we are in a completely different plot of land at a completely different point in time, and yet the universality of this story touches us, calls us into it. And one of the things we see right away is that the medium is the message in this story. Uh, Marshall McLuhan is the great media ecologist. Uh, when the first wave of sort of the technological revolution was taking place, he was writing to say, whoa, 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 we should pay attention to how our technology is shaping us. We should pay attention to maybe the shadow side of some of these great creations and inventions that we're so enamored with. And there's this sense of which, in which he said, uh, the medium is the message. You can't put a peace sign on an atomic bomb and expect the message to carry. Like, the medium is the message. And I think as I reflect on my own sort of Christian missionary experiences, I, I think that's where the church has missed it so often over time, is they've forgotten that the medium is the message. And rather than seeing the dream of God come into the world and Satan fall like lightning, they actually take on the forms of, uh, that are tied to the Satan. And so let's look at this. There's five observations I have in this text of the medium. How are they sent? What are they doing? And how can we embrace the same? Well, the first thing is, this posture that Jesus sends the disciples out with is a, is a posture that's relational. It's not transactional. It is relational to the core. Notice uh, as he sends them out, he tells them uh, to have focus. So uh, remember, he says, don't talk on the way. Uh, but when you get there, greet the homes with peace. Say, peace be on this house. And if the, the home welcomes you, if the home receives you, if there's a receptivity there, then make your base there. Like, stay with them, eat with them, connect with them. Jesus even goes on to say, don't go from house to house. Like, set up roots at a house and let that be the base for your sort of mission in that town. For Jesus, uh, the focus here is around a table. It starts with a table. They go out and they do their thing, but then they come back to a table and they debrief and they connect. God is experienced here around the table, because the table is the perfect metaphor for relationship. This is where these exchanges take place. And I think of Christian mission where it goes wrong. It gets transactional, right? There's an agenda. There's something, a list we're trying to tick off, and we often skip over relationship or we bypass relationship uh, in the process. Um, I can remember being a part of uh, different endeavors where uh, really relationship wasn't the point at all. Uh, we had a thing we were trying to do, whether it was a program or a service, 
and then we would get out of there as soon as our program or service was done with little to no connection with the actual people. That's transaction. Um, There are other things going on in Jesus' world that were transactional. The Roman Empire, very transactional. The temple system was very transactional. Even the the synagogue sort of uh, circuit around Jesus' time was also somewhat transactional. And you see Jesus coming up against that transactional approach to life over and over and over again. Remember when the Pharisees are critiquing his disciples for not keeping the Sabbath? Right? His disciples are hungry, so they start picking heads of grain on the Sabbath. Uh, I know, it's offending all your sensibilities right now as we speak. And it's just like an egregious thing. They're picking grain on the Sabbath, and, and here it is. These people pop out, the Pharisees, religious leaders, part of the, the synagogue circuit. And what do they say? They say, how could they do this? They're violating the Sabbath. How could you possibly be from God? How could your movement be from God? How could you possibly be speaking on behalf of the dream of God when your disciples don't even keep Sabbath? And Jesus says, listen, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Because Jesus always had a way of connecting every practice, every command, every insight back to relationship. Relationship with God and with others. When others would make it technical or transactional. And so the disciples were meant to go out from village to village, ahead of him on the journey to Jerusalem, meeting people, greeting people, welcoming people, talking with people, staying in their homes, sharing meals, building a relational capital. That's the kingdom of God. That's the dream of God. It's relational. But not only was it relational, not transactional, it was mutual and not colonial. Now, what do I mean by that? There is an open exchange happening as Jesus gives them instructions. He says, when you come, uh, come uh, being open to receive. So he says, you're not bringing food with you. You go and you receive the hospitality of people. Now, how many of you have been on a, 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 a Christian mission trip? Okay. Many hands going up to the other room. So you've had experience. How many of you, in your experience of Christian mission, um, Receive, put yourself at the sort of receiving end of the people that you are going to be with. Okay, some of you have, and this is beautiful. When this happens, this is beautiful. You come with an openness, ready to receive, not just to give. Um, there's, there's two books that I read maybe like eight or nine years ago about charity. Uh, one was called Toxic Charity. The other one was called When Helping Hurts. And both of these books talked about ways of approaching mission that are, uh, undermine love, that undermine the dream of God. The first one talks about like this, this sort of colonial mindset, like I'm the hero or we are the heroes. Uh, I'm the expert or we are the experts. We come in with our strength and we offer our strength to you or we offer our insight to you or we offer our expertise to you and then we leave feeling better about ourselves for having used our strength in this way. But Jesus doesn't send them out this way. Jesus sends them out in a spirit of mutuality where, yes, you you plan to offer something. Yes, you plan to give gifts, but you also expect to receive gifts. You also expect to receive insight. You also expect um, to have an exchange that's human. It's not 
again, transactional or colonial. Colonial basically has a strong center and it exports. But what Jesus is inviting mission, uh, the, the mission of Jesus is about import and export. There's an openness on both sides. One of the things that um, I think is very difficult about our current cultural moment is uh, we have a very proselytizing spirit in the air. And I don't mean just religiously, although of course that exists, um, but politically we experience this. And proselytizing it has at its core a closedness and a coldness that is not open to the other. And ironically, the, the very openness we expect of the outsider or the other, we were not willing to give ourselves. Like what kind of openness would it be required uh, for those, you know, for when we are in this proselytizing mode and we expect people to have a huge shift or a huge change in their life, uh, what openness is required in someone's life to go, I'm going to change my political view, I'm going to change my religious practice or view, I'm going to shift my entire lifestyle. What kind of openness is required do we expect of others? But we're not willing to offer ourselves. Jesus models and teaches and instructs a mutuality, which is a, it's the arena of persuasion, right? Persuasion is beautiful. Persuasion is where I definitely have my convictions, and I definitely have my story, and I definitely have my ideas, and I bring them fully and authentically to the relationship. And in fact, the reason I hold these ideas, and the reason I hold these beliefs, and the reason I practice the way I practice is because I think it's good. It's the best I know how to do. And so, of course, I would offer it to you, as good news, or I would commend it to you, just like I'd commend my favorite movie or my favorite music. I commend it to you. But I'm also open to listen and to learn. Consider the Magi. The Magi in the East, in the early part of Jesus' story, are off doing sort of God knows what, some kind of mystical pagan practices from the eyes of the Jewish community. And yet somehow they stumble upon this star, this light, which guides them to the sacred and beauty uh, happening, the sacredness and beauty happening in Jesus, in Jesus' story. They have their eyes open. And if Mary and Joseph had not been open to these outsiders, open to these others who had their own way of getting to this moment, they never would have received the great gifts from the East. We never would have had that story as a model for how God is at work beyond our tribe, or God is maybe at work beyond our assumptions. It's because the mission's mutual. It's not colonial. Nobody has a corner on anything. God is present with everyone and among everyone. And so when we come together, that's holy space. That's holy encounter. We're journeying to the center. The third thing is it's vulnerable. It's not uh, guarded. He tells them, uh, and I, this is very curious, don't take a purse, not difficult for me, or bag, or sandals, that one's a little more difficult, and do not greet anyone on the road. So here there is a simplicity that he is sending them out with. Like, he's not sending them out guarded and locked and loaded with strength. I can think of a lot of the, uh, the, the kind of mission trips that I was a part of would target uh, usually poor communities, and we'd bring a good or a service that the people couldn't afford, and we would create a captive audience, and then once we had the captive audience, we would share our message. Now, where that got really messed up is when we would provide a, a medical service, and in order to get the medical service, you'd have to listen to the message first. Um, 
Thankfully, some of the trips that I did uh, offered the message at the end, and it was voluntary, and that's fine. But this idea that uh, you come in and you cr create, you have, you have strength, you lead with strength, you lead with provision, you lead with a sort of guardedness. Uh, many of my trips were sort of like, um, we were trained in sort of apologetics, right? You're going into this space, people are going to be coming against you, here's how you respond. We had a guarded mentality. And that's all fine and good. But what Jesus sends them out with is simplicity and vulnerability. Jesus doesn't send them out with strength, both economic or in any other way. He just sends them simply as themselves. And they are now at the mercy of those around them. In fact, Jesus has this saying, which you've probably heard before. He says, I send you out as a lamb among wolves. Jesus knows this is going to be hard. People might take advantage of you. Uh, people might manipulate you or even harm you. That's potential. But I send you out with vulnerability. You lead with that sense of tenderness and openness to your neighbor. And that's how the dream of God comes into the world. Simplicity in touch with our limits. And I wonder what that means for you. I mean, the relationships of your life and your sense of joining God and God's mission and your sense of the dream of God coming alive in the world it's not going to happen through your strength. It's going to happen through your vulnerability in relationship. It's going to be happen as you let people in to the spaces that are weak or have limits. And we're learning that, of course, through social science. Uh, it seems to be like all anyone's talking about is the power of vulnerability. And Jesus sets that out for his disciples here. He says, you want to join God's mission. You want to see the dream of God come near. Be vulnerable. Like, don't go out guarded and strong. The, the fourth thing is that it's invitational. Um, they have an invitation. They're not just going and doing good deeds and then getting out of there. They actually are inviting people. They actually do have a message. Um, I remember sitting with a friend of mine who's uh, sort of a Jewish author, um, and we were talking about our experiences of Judaism and Christianity, and uh, he started sort of peppering me with questions about the universality of Christianity. And he's like, it's just so foreign. He's like, I, you know, as, a, as someone who's Jewish, we, we've always just sort of been told and thought, like, we should keep to ourselves. It's fine. Like, we're doing our thing, um, but we're not trying to, like, get everybody into our thing. He's like, why do you guys try to get everybody into your thing? <laughs> and to be sure, like, that, we, we can't have that colonial spirit that tries to get everybody into our thing for all the wrong reasons. But when we are in touch with the Jesus story and the spirit of Jesus Christ, there is a true invitational nature to it. And I shared with my friend, I was like, you know, there's, there is this sense in the Christian story of, of, um, of a taste of something good that we want others to experience. Now, where Christian mission goes wrong is when you actually haven't tasted much good and you're trying to share it and export it to others. Um, and I think a lot of Christian mission and Christian, like, pedagogy or teaching mode is we, we overstep uh, our experience. Like we put people in positions to do things and to say things that they actually haven't experienced themselves. If you haven't had a personal encounter with goodness and beauty and love and majesty and wonder, like what are you trying to export? You're just exporting something else, someone else's passion or someone else's enthusiasm or someone else's agenda. We're not actually ambassadors of the dream of God. But they would say, as the disciples went town to town, the kingdom is near. 
The kingdom is near. Now, I've been using the word dream of God because I think it translates better in a world where we don't necessarily have kings or queens. Well, we do, but we don't. You know what I mean? Like we, big we, but we don't. So these people went around saying peace to you. Peace. They offered something. Peace is on hand. The kingdom of God is on hand. And they were able to sort of accept the limits. And here's what I mean by that. Um, it was invitational, not coercive. Usually, like, a lot of our Christian mission can be coercive, right? We, like, we treat it like a sales uh, job or like we're closing a sale. Always be closing. Like, finding that angle, looking for the way to get in and convert people to our thing. And the problem with that is it doesn't accept the limits. Jesus says, listen, go to a home and say peace to you. Like, offer them peace. Invite them to the peace that you know and that you share and that you experience. And if they turn you away, then let it come back to you and move on. Like Jesus isn't giving them like three or four uh, corollary uh, uh, strategies, right? Like, all right, so if they say no here, then here's your answer. And if they say no to that, then here's your answer. It's not the, the sort of, uh, what is it, the sales uh, tree that many people have when they're making the telephone calls. No, you can't hide behind the sales tree. You just have to accept the limits because that's what love does. Love doesn't force itself on, on, on another. Love offers, is open, invites, but doesn't steamroll. And Jesus is sending his disciples out just like that. Go with an open hand. Go with the kingdom of God on your lips. Go with peace on your lips. And if they receive it, wonderful. Now you're experiencing the center. And if they reject it, still have that message on your lips. That's what the disciples say. As Jesus says, if they, if they, if they, uh, when you help people and you care for people, tell them the kingdom's near. And if they reject it, tell them the kingdom is still near. Because there's this boldness. There's a sense of like, love is here. The dream of God is here. It's on offer. We're participating in it. We're trying to extend it and invite people into it. We're still trying to grow in our understanding of it. It's not contingent on us. It's not contingent on our response. Coercion is fueled by everything's contingent on me. I've got to make this happen. Jesus doesn't frame it that way. Finally, it's practical, not ideological. When Jesus sends people out, he tells them, set up base in a home, share the meals, then go out and announce the kingdom of God has come near and cure the sick. Cure the sick. Now, the word that Luke chooses there is not the same word that's used for heal elsewhere throughout the Gospels. It has a particular nuance toward care, toward attentiveness, toward the process, not just the outcome. And so there's this sense in which the disciples are sent out to to look for the need, to look for where there's sickness, to, to be drawn toward where there's brokenness or challenge or obstacle, and to bring an attentiveness and a care and a practical heart to the problem. He doesn't tell them to come and get them to believe the right thing. He doesn't tell them to come with doctrine on their lips. He tells them to come announcing the dream of God is here, and as they're saying that, they're actually caring for people. And that's an important thing, I think, for us to remember and to connect with as we think about our role in this. So here we are in New York, and the whole wave of, of like career trajectories 
and consumerism often takes us toward the transactional. It takes us toward the colonial. It takes us toward the coercive and the leading with strength, that guardedness. It takes us toward even the ideological in our political environment. And Jesus is inviting us to a different way, a different posture. You want to bring the dream of God into this world? You want to be an ambassador of God's kingdom in the earth? Then come in this posture, the relational, the mutual, the vulnerable, the invitational, and the practical. Now, at the very end here, there is this fascinating saying, which we alluded to at the beginning. The disciples come back, and they have so many good stories to tell. Like, they took the risk. They went on the journey to the center. They encountered something sacred. They were renewed by it. They were invigorated by it. And they had so many celebrations on their lips. And as they were telling Jesus all these stories, he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. And then he talks about joy. And he says, only don't rejoice. (laughs) Like, don't rejoice just in the outcomes. Like, you've ever come back from something or been a part of something special? And there is. There's an enthusiasm. Like, we did that. We did that together. And Jesus says, don't find your joy in the outcomes, but find your joy in this, that your names are written in heaven. Now, what is Jesus getting at here? I have a friend who uh, was considering becoming Greek Orthodox. And uh, the Greek Orthodox take uh, pilgrimages to a very holy space for them, which is called Mount Athos. Has anybody ever been to Mount Athos? All right. So... Um, Mount Athos is a beautiful mountain in Greece, and people take this pilgrimage. It's, it's very uh, difficult to get on the list, but once you get on the list, you take this journey, and uh, there's sort of a pre-journey to the arrival that requires a lot of uh, hiking. And so you're hiking all day, you're going around these crags and rocks, and you're right at the, the, the juncture of the ocean and the mountain. And you climb all the way up. And you have nothing. You're, you're not meant to take anything or to bring anything, food or anything other than the clothes on your back. And when you arrive, they open a book. And if you are pre-registered and approved, your name is in the book. And my friend who did all of his diligence, right, to like make sure that his, he was registered and prepared, said that he got there. And after an all-day journey right, of hiking and traversing to the, the top of this mountain, He's so vulnerable, he has nothing. And if his name's not in that book, he's not getting in. And so he said that he was just met with this wave and this rush of relief when he heard his name. And when Jesus uses this metaphor of a name being written in heaven, he's saying two things. He's saying that the source of our joy is our sense of being known by God and being protected by God. There's a sense of stability. There's a sense of strength at the core of our identity when we know our names are written in heaven. And it's that sense of strength and that sense of being loved and known that's at the core of Christian mission that enables you to take risks, that enables you to be vulnerable, that enables you to be mutual, that enables you to be relational when you want to be transactional, that enables you to uh, be practical when you know, your ego just wants to be ideological and feel good about your good ideas. It's what opens the door to be invitational rather than close it off and say, no, we're fine over here, thank you. That sort of stability and inner strength that comes from the love of God makes the dream of God possible. And so Jesus says, like, listen, I saw Satan fall like lightning, really good job, 
but don't rejoice in that. Like, if you're going to find joy in something, find joy in the source of it all, the center of the universe, which is the love of God, which is unconditional and on offer to all humanity. That's the source, and it's the end of Christian mission. And so how will you join up in the mission of Jesus in the world? How will you join up in New York City with seeing the dream of God become a reality? It's not going to come except through these postures. And only when you can foster and nourish these postures will you see the dream of God come into your workplace, into your neighborhood, into your families and your friendships, into your own heart and identity, as Jesus talked about here. The portal is this means, and the means is the message. Thank you for listening to the Trinity Grace Church Tribeca podcast. You can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. And please take time to rate and review. And of course, we couldn't do this without your support. So if you would like to make a donation, you can text TGC Tribeca to 77977. That's TGC Tribeca to 77977. And your support is very much appreciated. Grace and peace to you.